The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus summoned the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over unclean spirits. He instructed them to take nothing for the journey but a walking stick, no food, no sack, no money in their belts. They were, however, to wear sandals, but not a second tunic. He said to them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave. Whatever place does not welcome you or listen to you, leave there and shake the dust off your feet in testimony against them. So they went off and preached repentance. The 12 drove out many demons and they anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. The Gospel of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Praise the Lord. Uh, Before we dive into these amazing readings, as we announced beginning of Mass, uh, when we had the COVID lockdown, one of the restrictions we had was less singing. And so now we're trying to get back into some post-COVID parish lifestyle again. So we're going to start singing the Gloria, as we recall. Uh, We announced the page of where the notes are, the Gloria. And so we're going to try to do this for the next couple months or so and practice that glorious so that way we can sing it robustly and again don't worry if you don't sing well we're not we're, we're not all competing for for the next uh, america's got talent or, or anything else we praise the lord with song <laughs> and so and so if you can't sing well struggle with it uh, I, I can't sing well at all either so i won't yell at you if, if you're off key or anything but so just sing robustly to the Lord, because there's nothing like it when a whole church is singing and praising the Lord. Oh, it's radically different. So I don't want to see any mute, mute faces. <laughs> I know it's hard to sing in public. I know. Let's pretend like you're in a shower or you're stuck in traffic in the middle of your car and praise the Lord. Huh? But then secondly, today at this Holy Mass, as we know, our community is again inflicted by another wildfire. So let's keep the firefighters in our prayer and especially the people whose homes are in danger. In fact, I saw, I think I saw a firefighter in uniform here secretly snuck in. So we pray for you, brother, and uh, thank you for all that you're doing, keeping our community safe. So let's, in a particular way, remember the firefighters and the families that are in the, in the path of uh, the fire. And pray to God that he brings an end, end to this. It's only the beginning of fire season, too. So it's, uh, as we all know, it feels like a rerun from last last summer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Pray. Keep praying for those, for the firefighters and the families. In fact, 
Many of our parishioners, we have a couple families that live in that area and they're currently under evacuation. And it's, there's one thing about natural disasters, whether it's a fire like this or an earthquake. We just had an earthquake a couple days ago. Luckily, it was a tiny thing. And we're, scientists say that we're, we're all waiting, we're, we're due for the big one as well. So I don't know about you, but whenever I hear of, of an earthquake starting, I'm like, oh, no, is this the big one that we're, that we're waiting for? But the scary thing is, is that what natural disasters tend to do, it reminds us that we are not in control. Have you ever seen a wall of fire? I mean, you saw the photos of the, the wall of fire. Can you imagine standing in front of a wall of fire? Your house is right next to you. You can pull out a, a garden hose. You feel utterly helpless. You know, as I mentioned a couple years ago, you know, my, so that's why I feel for our family, our families that are currently undergoing this the stress, anxiety of it all. But back in 2000, it was 2008, when our family home in Sacramento burned to the ground. I, got, I, was, I was abroad, I was studying in Rome still, I was still in the seminary, and I got an email, a single line email from my cousin. Call home as soon as you can. Your house has just burned down. No context. <laughs> that was it. It's like, what? What are you talking about? My house just burned down. And so as soon as I get to the phone, I called. And then a couple months later, I was able to fly back. And the way, I, the way if, if any of you have ever endured your home burning down, I hope you never do experience that. The closest approximation is it feels like losing a loved one in your family. Because we all presume that when we look at our home, like after Mass today, you all presume that when you go home, your house will be waiting for you. Imagine it charred to the ground. It, it, it hits you like losing a loved one. I know it's just brick and stone and wood, but that's what it feels like. Because what happens when we look at our home? That's, that's our life. And whenever a fire or a natural disaster... It shakes us and it makes us realize just how fragile our world really is. And it forces us to ask the question, what is the foundation of our life? Truly ask yourself that question. What is the foundation of my life? That always causes the questions because if indeed it is, it is our home, our health, our, our, our jobs, we all know you can take one incident, all of that is gone. The fire that, was, that burned down our house, it was an outlet, it was a short in one of the outlets in our laundry room. A tiny little spark, boom, that was it. The current fire right now is going on there. A lightning bolt hit the ground, boom. Now we're undergoing this. One incident. And then our entire lives would come crashing to the ground. So it always, it always leads to a deeper question. What is the foundation of my life? Because if it's, if it's my house or my health or my, my property, it hangs by a thread if you think about it. Which is where now the gospel here gives us an insight. So the context is, 
Jesus now has the 12 disciples. By this point, Jesus has been teaching them and forming them for the last three years. He's been showing them how to live. He's been giving them their teaching. And now Jesus says, all right, now I want to send you out for the very first time. I want you to go out into the world and to begin proclaiming the good news of Christianity. And notice what he does here. He gives them very specific instructions. I want you to go out two by two, go in pairs, go out to the towns. And then this next line is utterly strange. Take nothing with you. No food, no sack, meaning no, no, no luggage, basically. No money. And not even a second tunic. So imagine, Jesus is sending them out on mission. And he says to them, take nothing but just the clothes on your back. Why? Because Jesus here is teaching them, I want you to build your foundation on me alone. I want you to rely only on me and God's providence. I want you to build your life just on me. Do you see that risk there? Because for me now to go out into the world without any luggage, no money, no, no, no second clothing, it requires us now to build trust in him, doesn't it? Do you remember, it's been about over a month ago now, do you remember on Trinity Sunday, where we celebrated that distinct Christian doctrine, which answers the most important question in the universe. What is God? There is no more important question than that. What is God? And God, on Trinity Sunday, we celebrated the revelation of who he is. That God is what? Remember that. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A trinity. One God in three persons. That God is a relationship of love. Now, and then we link to the second dimension. If you and I are created in God's image and likeness, as Genesis, Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 reveals, that God made us in his image and likeness, male and female, he created them. Therefore, it follows that if God is relationship, you and I are stamped with the Trinity in his image and likeness. Therefore, we are created for relationship. Which is why, again, now linking to, if you've been with me for the past couple of years, I'm like a broken record. By the time I leave you, you will, this will be tattooed on your brain. <laughs> that the four classic distractions of God will never bring us happiness. You remember those four? What are the four things which we tend to distract ourselves from God? The pursuit of money, power, honor, pleasure. Go back to St. Thomas Aquinas. He, he spoke about this beautifully. It's the four classical substitutes of God, which we, when we neglect our relationship with him, one of those four takes, takes the place. Money, power, honor, pleasure. But as we all know, especially if we've lived life, we know those four things, no matter how much we accumulate of it, we are never happy. Why? Because we are not created in the image and likeness of money, power, honor, or pleasure. Which is why none of that will ever bring us happiness. Only in relationship does our truest happiness come.
and part of the proclamation of Christianity when our Lord sends now the 12 into the world. Part of the good news is that Jesus Christ, the reason why he will die, the reason why he will shed his blood for us, it is to restore that relationship back with us and God. That's why he dies, to restore the relationship. And what we all know about relationship. You marry any couples in here? Let's go back into time for a moment. What is the most pivotal phrase of your relationship? Go back to when you were dating. Go back to when you were dating. And there's a phrase that a couple will utter. The bold one might be the man or the woman. I don't know which one, whoever's the most bold in that relationship. You will say your phrase when you're dating. And when you utter that phrase, it will change the dynamic of that relationship. Either wrongly or, <laughs> or good. It depends if they have the same feelings. <laughs> it's a risk. I asked uh, recently a couple, married long, married for many years now, and she still remembered, now that we're her husband's now, where he first said, I love you to her. He says, oh, we were sitting at, on the bench in the Portola Frosty. She even remembers what they were eating when he looked at her for the first time and said those words, which is the most important phrase in any relationship and in any home. I love you. I love you. Now, what is the second most important phrase in any relationship, especially now if this couple now gets married? The second most important phrase, we teach our young people this question, especially when they grow up. We, we teach them this phrase. Do you know what it is? It's not take out the trash or do the dishes, huh? No, no, no. That, that's important, by the way. But that's not the second most important phrase in, in, in a relationship. The second most important phrase is, I'm sorry. Why is that? Because even though we're in a loving relationship, whether it's children or family members, the thing is, is that we all hurt one another. It's just our human condition. It's not a matter of if, but when we hurt one another. I remember growing up, oh, I hated my parents for this. <laughs> Whenever my sister and I would fight growing up, my, my mom would force me to say, I'm sorry to my sister, because it was always my fault. I was always fighting with her. <laughs> Say sorry to you. Like, okay, fine, I'm sorry. And then the next line, I was like, oh, this is so traumatic. Parents, don't do this to your kids. I'm traumatized by it. And then she would say, now kiss your sister. I was like, what? Kiss my sister? What are you talking about? It's disgusting. That's gross. It's my sister. And she forced me to kiss her. To this very day, I can still feel it. Like, even talking about it makes me uncomfortable right now. Because she knew. She had to force me to say I'm sorry. And so every relationship of love requires articulation of love. And then when we mess up, to say, I'm sorry. When John the Baptist first began to preach, one of the first things he did 
We see this in Luke chapter 1, verse 3. John the Baptist, who was the precursor to Jesus, the first words out of his mouth was repent. Repent. Now jump to Mark 5, Mark chapter 1, verse 5. The first words ever out of Jesus' mouth when he began his public ministry was, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Now jump to, to, to the gospel of John. When Jesus sends the Holy Spirit upon the apostles for that, for that time, before he sends it back into heaven, what was the first sacrament that he gave them? He says, receive the Holy Spirit. Just as the Father has sent me, now I send you into the world. Those whose sins you forgive are forgiven them. Those whose sins you retained are retained. And now in this gospel, when the apostles now go out into the world without no food, no sack, no money in their belts, no second clothing, did you catch the last phrase, the last sentence here in the gospel? So they went off and preached repentance. Do you see a pattern here? The first words out of John the Baptist's ministry, repent. First words out of Jesus' mouth, repent. The first gift when the apostles receive the Holy Spirit, repent. When the apostles now go out for the first time, repent. Now do you see why it begins to make sense? If God is relationship, you and I are created for a relationship. Jesus comes into the world to repair the relationship. Why it is absolutely for you and I to tell God, I'm sorry for my sins. Because as we all know, no relationship can grow until we say sorry. When was the last time you went to confession? Now it just got real, didn't it? <laughs> when was the last time you went to confession? If it's been over a year, it's time to go. Why? Because I'm, I want to be mean to you? No. Because if we want our relationship to grow with Jesus Christ, if you truly want to become disciples, to be the best Christians we were created to be, it must begin with us humbling ourselves and telling God in the beautiful sacrament of confession, God, I'm sorry for what I've done and I repent and I want to change my life. If it's been a long time since your confession or if it's been a month or a week, come to confession again. If not with me, Reno's not that far. I go to confession to Reno often or bombard Father Sal and Quincy He's always available, by the way. Just give him a call and leave a message if you don't want to come to me. Or whenever you want to. You know, everybody knows where I live. <laughs> I live right there. I have no life, by the way. I just sit in my living room and I wait for you. I have no, I'm a loser. I have nothing else to do with my life but hear your confession, by the way. I just sit there. That's what I do. I am at your beck and call. You see, it all comes down and I'll end here. To relationship. 
And just like in any loving relationship, the first most important phrase is I love you. And the second, I'm sorry. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.